What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, May 23rd, the theatrical charlatan edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Eliza, age eight, and Leo, who is four and three quarters. And I'm Carvo Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Open California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 13, and Ezra, who is 16. Rebecca Lavoy is out this week. She'll be back next time today on our show. We'll be talking to Teresa Thorne. She's the author of a new picture book for kids about gender identity. And then we'll be answering a question from a listener whose children have fallen under the spell of a narcissistic youth theater director. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails. We'll make recommendations. And on Slate Plus, Teresa Thorne is going to share a triumph or a fail of her own. Let's start with triumphs and fails. Carvel, tell me about your week. Triumph week, fail week, what's oh, it It's This has been such an intense week. Uh, I think fail, I think this all falls under fail. Uh, the There's ongoing uh, just trauma slash drama with my son's like failure to produce academically and then more being revealed about how a class that he was took this year he actually isn't going to pass and now that's a reality and now things have to get made up in the summer but then he's reluctant to do that and he had this meeting with his counselor and us and and about what his plan has to be going forward but and it required so much making up that he then decided that that was going to be too much and he was came up with an alternate plan that involved more putting stuff off and it just it's just like the level of frustration that we've reached is so high um and i <laughs> and i I've, I've been thinking about how um there's so like i don't i i go back and forth between feeling like i need to enforce and and just like make things happen with sheer energy and power mm. and that's not only does that not Great. I mean, that's just not great. There's no not. On, there's no other part of that. That's just not great. It's as, <laughs> as much as I want it to be great. Not only and as is much that as I not like, great. It, it, neither is it great. <laughs> exactly. That's pretty much where I'm at, ladies and gentlemen. A professional writer on the microphone. But um, but I but I feel like I feel like so I feel like um I am. There's a part of me that is open to the idea that I'm going to have to just let him suffer through his own bad choices. And that is what they always say, and that's just so great when it, when you're theoretically talking about helping kids learn by having them face their own consequences. It's really terrifying when it's your own child and your own con- and their own consequences, which feel like your consequences, and in some cases do really seem like your consequences because it's like what you know, like is this kid just going to be just failure to launch? Like you know, we we need you out of the house, mm-hmm. so we need you to like. And so I just there's it's amazing how. What a crazy parental conundrum it is to have a kid that just won't do the stuff that you think that they're supposed to do, and we have another kid who does the stuff that you think that they that we think you're supposed to do, and so it's like, is it our fault? I mean, like, what, one of these kids is like seems to be getting it, and the other one seems to be doing something else, and so I think this is where, where real parenting happens, if it, except for this one issue, 
everything is great with this kid. Like, his, like, emotions are great, his kindness, his connection, our ability to be, to, like, connect over things, his membership in the family, our conversations, it's all great. And he's growing, and I see evidence of him growing in all these areas, except there's this one thing where he might not even graduate high school. I guess it's, that's the difficult part is that if I just were to remove this thing about graduating from, from high school or even getting good grades or even just staying on top of his just general, like, academic life— I would be like, this kid is doing great. Everything about them is great. They're just, you know, like they have all this great stuff that I feel like they're going to be such a wonderful and helpful person in the world. And they're going to go out and they think about, he thinks about so many things and he, he's so interested in like uh, politics and, and history and stories and spirit. And he's like, one, and he's like, he wants to like explore why did these people make this decision in the 1950s and what was that about? And, you know, what does this mean? And he's just a great great kid and all that stuff but he's like barely graduating from high school and that feels to me like a fail but because I don't know how to not have it be that way and so many other people have told me or at least a number of other people have told me um that that's just that that's that's not ideal but it's okay you have to just let it go i mean and kids will figure out their way just as we figured out our ways and and i and and i had even had one of my great parenting mentors once said who now has an adult child said that um i she's her looking back on it was that she said i took everything too seriously except his mental health which i didn't take seriously enough and i think about that framing a lot uh and so her advice to me was that you need to take you need to worry less about everything about whether he puts away the dishes and whether he does his homework and whether he ties his shoes and whether he folds his laundry you need to take all that less seriously and his mental health, you need to take more seriously. And so I try to live by that, but then I panic because I go, okay, I'm going to relax. And I'm just going to focus on what I love about him and our relationship. It'll be great. And then after that, and this just happened today, he'll do something even more egregious with his with his academics. Like today, he decided that he, I went to pick them up for school and he decided that he was he slept in and he was going to be late and it was the end of the year anyway. So he's just going to walk later because he only has two classes that matter at this point and that's English and whatever other class. And so he's going to walk for his like fourth and fifth periods. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like you can't just not go to school because you think it's the end of the year. Like you, you know, and I wanted to just be like, you've done nothing. You haven't even earned the right to not go to, you know, and but I'm like, what am I going to do, fight with him? So I, you know, I just like, can you put your mother on the phone? I've briefly vented to Joe. Joe vented back to me, and then we got off the phone, and that was it. And then, uh, and so I, I guess what I'm saying here is that having a kid, having a teenager is really hard. And I've been saying this for a few weeks now because it's true. You can't force them to be the person you want them to be. And that opens up this very complicated parenting conundrum which is how much do you love them versus how much do you force them? And not that forcing isn't love, but it doesn't feel like it to them. It just stresses them out. And uh, I don't know the answer to that, but the tack I've, I'm trying to take is I have made it abundantly clear what my vision for his life is and his way of going about the world. I've made it clear to the point where it, I might have even made it too clear. It's not happening. He's not taking it on as his own or the extent to which he is taking it on isn't to my satisfaction. And there, there's some letting go that has to happen. And that's the hardest part is that kind of letting go. And, and in some ways, that's the biggest part of being parenting teenagers is having teenagers is a long path, like an eight-year, seven-year journey 
of letting go one finger at a time of your grip on their life and direction. And sometimes, oftentimes, they force you to let go of portions of your grip before you're ready. And my son is forcing me to let go of my grip on his academics way before I'm ready. And that's just what I'm stuck with. And so as a parent, it feels like a fail that I don't have that this brilliant kid who is literally brilliant is not a straight A student. That feels like a fail. We failed him somehow. We should have a straight A student because he's just that smart. And if there's any triumph, it's that I'm just, I guess I'm having some insight about what it means to let go, even though it's terrifying and hard as hell. So I wish I had more good news for those of you who parent young kids. I don't. Maybe your kid will turn out to just be a great student because that's who they are. Like one of my kids is that way. And maybe your kid will challenge you and force you to do some real parenting, uh, which my other kid is doing. And that's just the way it goes. But I don't know that it has a lot to do with you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, from the way you're talking about it, it sounds like for you, the triumph or the fail is about managing your own feelings about it. Because in terms of what he's going to do, you don't really have a choice. Yes, and I'm having a really hard time accepting that. I guess that's, if there is a fail, it's like I'm struggling to accept what seems from the outside a fairly obvious reality, that I don't have a lot of choice over what he does. And that is... I my even when I say that my brain's like that's impossible. That means you failed as a parent. You're supposed to, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you didn't instill the proper values in him and that's why he's not doing what you want and you just messed it up and I'm yeah. just like I don't know, man. I don't know, you know? Yeah. Boy, <laughs> do I have the world's least important triumph to follow that up with. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> like, we couldn't be going more from the really important, profound, big picture stuff to just the least important thing imaginable. Uh, so I slightly wonder if the audience is going to be able to accept this kind of radical uh, downshift in terms of the, the uh, consequentialness uh, of what we're talking <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna I, get the bends from changing altitude I, so they, fast they really, but they I, really think, are. I think they can roll with it because that's what parenting is it's going <laughs> right. from the profound to the absurd nice nicely on, done on a dime nicely done do it. all right here we go so here's my parenting crime so there's an ongoing thing where like getting eliza ready to go to school she has all these things she's meant to do you have to like remind her to do the things she knows what the things are already she's old enough to do the thing like she knows after she finishes breakfast she should be brushing her teeth and brushing her hair but we still have to tell her do you have any Anything to brush, you know what I mean? Like we have to not directly <laughs> totally. say now. Drop hints. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, not directly say brush your teeth <laughs> and then brush your hair, but just kind of remind her of the thing that she already knows. So one of these ones is when she gets dressed, she likes to get all the way dressed except she doesn't put on her socks. We, we, we don't put on shoes until we're about to leave the house, but she doesn't put on her mm. socks. And so she'll like finish breakfast, she'll brush her teeth, she'll brush her hair, then she'll be like having her like reading time before it's time to go. And and I'll see her and it'll be time to go and then she has to like go downstairs and get her socks. And it's like an extra step. And if you care, as I do, about efficiency, then you really want yeah. the, the socks to be part of the initial getting dressed process that happens in the bedroom. Yes. You're making an extra journey just for like one part of the wardrobe. Why do you need to do this? Unacceptable. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, I should be. It's madness. I should be one of those guys who goes into like an assembly line and tells everybody how to do each of the things in the most efficient possible way. And in a way, that informs my parenting is that like you should put on your socks before you come up upstairs for breakfast. But so lately I've gotten her to the point where now she mostly does her socks, which is good. And I did it through directly telling her and I did it through the hints and I did it. But so now she's basically got the socks down. But so the other day 
she neglected to do the socks. And uh, she mm-hmm. had her breakfast. She brushed her teeth. She brushed her hair. And then she's sitting on the couch reading her book. And I'm like getting ready to go. And I see that she, she's not wearing her socks. And so I said to her, oh, are you wearing transparent socks? And she looked <laughs> up really puzzled. <laughs> and she was like, no. And I was like, are you, are, are you sure you, you don't have transparent socks on? And she was like, no, I, I don't own any transparent socks. And I, I was like, well, then why does it look like you have bare feet? And that was my triumph. I just, I found a new and, really? and, and maximally dad way to express to her that she should be wearing her socks. Yeah, I will say just I I am I am from the future and I'm here to tell you you will be able to do that twice before she says, I don't appreciate your sarcasm, old man, and I will not brook it. I, do, I don't care if she appreciates it or not. She, she recog- It wasn't that she liked it, because she didn't like it, but, but she recognized it. Like, she noticed that I had done something quite impressive in finding a new way to tell her to put her socks on. And oh, so I'm, man, I'm, I'm, she didn't that. enjoy it, but she noted it, and so I'm going to count that as a parenting triumph. <laughs> She will. She will literally say, "I will not warn you again." <laughs> she probably your will. insolence will not be tolerated. <laughs> um, it does actually relate. The two things relate because it that it feels to me like this tiny because we had this long thing. Old time listeners, OG listeners of the show will remember that one of the first things I shared about triumphs and struggles with my son was that he would not put on his shoes and socks until he got in the car. This was his big life hack. He was obsessed with <laughs> It's like the really lazy person's version of efficiency. <laughs> was totally. like bringing his totally. shoes and socks out. <laughs> but, but he was convinced that this was this, the logical way to do it. I'd be like, that is his mother and I, even G- Georgia got in and like trying to explain that's absurd. Serve that cannot be more logical. No, this guy, you don't understand. Because if then I don't have to waste that time upstairs doing it. See, I'm maximizing the time we're in the car. Except he would, he forgot his shoes twice. There were twice I got him to school, high school, and he didn't have shoes on. And he was like, um, dad, we, uh, I thought they were in my hand, but I guess I left them on the stairs. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh. and yeah, these are these are the little things that you that you just they just do stuff that just kind of drives you crazy, but you just gotta let it go. What's great about the moment where he's forgotten his socks and shoes is that for you, it's both a triumph and a fail. Like exactly. it's the triumph of vindication <laughs> and the fail of you brought your son to school without any but shoes or socks. Cost. Yeah, exactly. It's no, it's no good. It's a no win situation. It or, is a no win. A lot of no win situations. That's right. Before we move on, let's do the business. The most important piece of business, if you're not yet a Slate Plus member, join Slate Plus now. Today on our show, you'll hear a parenting fail from Teresa Thorne. Uh, you'll get another segment like that every week. Plus, your Slate podcasts come with no ads anywhere, and you help us make the show. Uh, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and sign up today. It's just $35 for your first year. You get your first two weeks free to try it out. Slate.com slash slash mom and dad plus. 
If you haven't yet bought your ticket for Slate Day 2019, what are you waiting for? It's in New York City. It's on the High Line and nearby, uh, and it takes place on June the 8th. It's going to be a great show. I'm going to be there, and so is Carvel. We're going to have the first ever Mom and Dad are Fighting play date with a lot of great entertainers for you, uh, plus all the other Slate podcasts. Well, many of the other Slate podcasts will also uh, be making appearances, uh, giving performances, doing panels, see live tapings, meet the host have a great time the whole thing wraps up with a uh, a dance party hosted by chris melanfi of hit parade it's gonna be super fun uh for more information go to slate.com slash live that's slate.com slash live if you're not yet a member of our facebook group obviously uh you should go to facebook search for slate parenting and uh, mash that join button it's the only good thing on facebook and perhaps on the internet as a whole Uh, And finally, maybe you want to ask us a question that we will discuss on the show. Uh, How can you get that question to us, you might ask? The answer is you can call us at 424-255-7833 or you can email it to momanddad at slate.com. Okay, let's get on with the show. Today, we're joined by Teresa Thorne. She's one of the hosts of the podcast One Bad Mother and the author of a new picture book for children, It Feels Good to Be Yourself, a book about gender identity. comes out June 4th. Uh, Teresa Thorne, thanks for being with us. Can you just tell us a little bit about what motivated you to to write a book for kids about gender identity? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, I decided to write this book because I have three kids, and one of my kids is a transgender girl. Um, and she came out when she was five and socially transitioned around that time. Um, and I felt at that time that we had a lot of books available that were about a child that might be gender nonconforming or transgender, um, that were really helpful to us in our journey. But most of the books, um, really focused on one child being different from other children, Um, in this way. And I really felt that, you know, I have three kids and all of my kids have their own sense of their own gender and their own way of expressing their gender. Um, And in the course of learning more, you know, I'm I'm a cisgender adult. And in the course of learning more about my trans child's experience and just learning more about gender for myself, for my own education, I just felt that there is actually such a beautiful um, gender diversity um, for us as humans. And I really wanted a book for my child and actually for all my children that was less about the way in which one child might not fit in to our cisgender world and a book that was more about just how every child can sort of learn about and explore their own sense of gender identity and how that can be really exciting and rewarding for all children. How did uh, your your uh, oldest child, who, who's trans, uh, her name is Grace, how did Grace's gender identity first uh, express itself? Um, well, when she was about three and four years old, um, it was you know, most things about her expression seemed fairly typical to my husband and myself, who are both cisgender. Um, But around three and four was when she started um, asking for, you know, barrettes in her hair, or she wanted to wear dresses sometimes. Um, She also asked to grow her hair 
out. Um, and she said for a long time she wanted her hair to be as long as Rapunzel's. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and then all of which seemed pretty typical to us, um, being, you know, from progressive families in the San Francisco Bay Area. And my husband and I both went to arts high school and just none of that to us indicated um, that we might have a trans child. We more just felt like, great, we're all expressing ourselves. We're all experimenting. Um, But around the time that she was four, she started saying things like, I want people to think I'm a girl. Um, Or, you know, I... And just questioning more. Why, why, you know, why do we say that, you know, girls have this body part and boys have that party part? And just asking lots more questions. And um, we got to the point where she was not comfortable with most of the clothes in her closet. So getting dressed every day was difficult. Um, she did have a few play dresses, but those weren't always appropriate for whatever we were doing, not because... Uh, they were a gender nonconforming type of expression, but more just, you know, if, if it's a play dress, um, you know, and it's sort of very casual and we're going to some kind of event, it might not be appropriate just because she needed to look more dressy. Um, so things like that became areas of high conflict in our household. Um, so that was when we started really educating ourselves more, my husband and, and I, and then we just started having more conversations with Gracie around gender, um, which led us to learning that she she really identifies as a girl and really wanted to be a girl in the world and wanted the world to see that about her. One of the one of the things that I took from from reading the book is the message that to every kid that, that whatever is your gender identity, whether it's male or female, whether whether it's trans or cisgender or non-binary. Every kid should feel okay with it and should feel safe and secure in their own gender identity and should feel sort of happy in it. And I wonder if that's something that you worried that Grace wouldn't feel at the beginning. Yes, um, I do. Um, and I I think that it's, um, it's a well-founded fear, <laughs> um, just considering that, you know, in our culture, I think we're still evolving um, in terms of how we define gender. And although many of us are are much more open-minded now, um, I think that we're still doing a lot of the same things that we did in the past that are very sort of rigid around gender. So we still we still announce the gender of a baby based on their, you know, their sex assignment at birth. So based on their genitals, basically. Um, so, you know, and then it, and then it's and then it's up to that child if they don't identify that way. And many do identify as cisgender, but for those who don't, it's up to them to kind of have this this incongruence. Um, They are not maybe feeling the way the world is seeing them, and it's up to them to change the world's mind about who they are, which is, I think, a lot of a lot of weight and a lot of pressure on a very young child sometimes. Um, And then I think just the world just isn't necessarily accepting yet as a whole. Many people are. Um, And, you know, my family is lucky to live in Los Angeles and be in a very supportive um, community here. Um, But I I don't think that's true for all kids. I, I know that it's not true for all kids. So, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to ask about, which is the the gap between um, sort of like 
p- parents believing uh, and seeing that gender is different from sex assignment at birth, um, the gap between people who sort of see things that way and people who still like 100% believe that that g- that gender and genitals are the exact same thing and that's the, one of the most basic and fundamental rights, it's a pretty wide gap. And there is just, I mean, we're at a time when we're facing this uh, sort of like conflict in our culture about it. And I wonder how you see the work of those of us who feel that like, like how do you see us working to close that gap? Like um, sometimes I wonder that, that there's like some parts of our culture are so like far advanced in this stuff. And some parts are so rigidly and forcefully in, in, in like sort of set in a, in an old way. And I wonder how you see that, um, you know, how you see that breaking down, like what work can be done? Do you feel hopeful about the change in that? Like talk a little bit about how you navigate just the complexity of that. Sure. Well, I think, yes. And when, when I think about it in those terms, it has the potential to feel very overwhelming um, because you're right. There are many people who can't accept this as gender, the idea of gender diversity as being a possibility. Um, so it can feel really overwhelming. Um, I think that for me, you know, I tried to write the book in such a way that it, I tried to make it easily understandable for kids and adults. I find that even adults who are open-minded and accepting sometimes struggle to have conversations um, with their kids about gender just because maybe it's unfamiliar to them or they're worried they might get it wrong um, or it's just new territory and they're not sure, um, which I totally get and respect. And so part of this book, you know, I have a glossary in the book and I tried to make the definitions easily understandable for all ages. Um, and I think the idea is just to facilitate conversations because I think when people have more information they they you know more information does lead to understanding of course you have to get to the point of being willing to be open to that information so i can't always control that part of it but i can help get the information out there um and i hope that you know with this book i just if it if it can get into you know a library or, you know, into a classroom where a kid who maybe doesn't have accepting parents but is having some questioning thoughts or some confusion around their gender and they can find this book can make its way to them. I hope that it can be helpful in those ways as well. As far as our culture shifting overall, um, I just think that more and more, you know, the fact of the existence of our friends and family members and folks around the world who who are not who do not identify as cisgender is to me just the the biggest argument for acceptance mm-hmm. going forward i mean these folks are our friends and family and they exist so you know um it's hard to argue with a fact of existence <laughs> If that makes any sense. (laughs) (laughs) It makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Uh, um, So along those lines, I imagine that this would be 
this is the kind of book that would sort of make the news because it would get banned in some school district somewhere, and uh, you know someone would take this as like a thing. And I wonder if you've ever had, if you've thus far had, you know, and I think that's actually true because the book does such a great job of making everything so clear and undeniable, which I think for some people might even increase the feeling of threat that they feel reading it because the, you know, they don't, it, it feels like the sort of like reality is encroaching and they can't deny it because the book makes it so clear and plain. And I wonder if you've had any kind of negative feedback, any kind of angry letters to your publisher, any kind of, we're never going to put this in our school district and this is an outrage kind of stuff. Well, you know, the book is just, coming out. Um, it'll be out on June 4th. And I I assume that there will be some of that. Um, I also, you know, I mean, I think to the extent that I've been aware of it, it's more been when I've seen people f- post about the book on social media. Um, when it's, you know, when it's a public post, um, I have seen it get negative attention. Um but I've seen it get a mixture of attention. And by far, the most attention I've seen it get is just mostly excitement and gratitude. Um, so, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm bracing mm-hmm. myself yeah. a little bit. I'm not going to lie. But <laughs> I, there's no part of me that, you know, doesn't stand behind this yeah. book. So, um, so, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Teresa Thorne, thanks so much for for being with us. Uh, Again, Teresa's podcast is called One Bad Mother, and her new book, It Feels Good to Be Yourself, a book about gender identity, uh, illustrated by Noah Grigny, is coming out on June the 4th. All right. Time now to take a question from a listener. This one came to us in our email box. I'm going to tell you the email address right now. It's momanddadatslate.com. Somebody tweeted at me the other day. They wanted to like pitch themselves as like a topic for the show or something. And, and generally speaking, like don't bother doing that. But they tweeted at me and they were like, love the show. Is there any way for me to contact you? And my response was, <laughs> yes. if you do, in yes. fact, love the show, you already know <laughs> that the way to contact us is using the electronic <laughs> mail address momanddadatslate.com. Uh, this question is being read for us by uh, Shasha Leonard. Somebody else uh, commented on Facebook recently. They were like, Gabe always says you should leave a voicemail on the voicemail number, but I actually like it better when Shasha Leonard reads the questions. And I've decided that I do, she- too. Yeah, right? she's great. She's, she's tremendous at this. All right. So so don't bother to leave us a voicemail at 424-255-7833. Instead, email us at momanddadatslate.com and your question will be read, as is this one about to be, by Shasha Lena. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. My kids were in a production with a children's theater this year that they loved. The bad news is that the teacher is extremely disorganized and narcissistic. She changed rehearsal times and performance dates in the middle of the year, asked us to get last-minute costume items two days before the dress rehearsal, and begins almost every one of her many, many emails with long-winded excuses. She constantly talks about her experience in Hollywood. She seems to have run a children's theater program in the L.A. area and tells the kids that she is going to make them professional. She claims to have taught two famous actors now in their 30s, name-dropping them at every opportunity. She is also now trying to convince my older kid to come with her to an expensive kids' theater conference. A plane ride away 
even though I have already said no. I see a charlatan manipulating my kids. They see a beloved teacher. I want to support my kids in doing theater and have tried to convince them to work with different local children's theater outfits to no avail. They have drunk this lady's Kool-Aid and want to work with her again next year. Do I let it go, knowing they're having fun with it, or do I insist they work with someone more organized, more respectful of family schedules, and less manipulative? Thank you. <laughs> um, as a person who grew up in theater, went to an arts high school, went was like did the whole thing and started, I think I had my first agent when I was 15 in L.A., grew up in L.A., I will say that... Um, this teacher says that she wants to make their kids professional. And I will say that like dealing with, uh, narcissistic, um, charlatans and <laughs> is a professional part as part of being a professional actor. It is a major part of being a professional actor. And so in this sense, this theater teacher is absolutely delivering on the promise mm. of preparing your kids to deal with the professional world of being an actor <clears throat> because this theater people are just, that's the way they are. I mean, they really are. And I, and I, I, my, you know, my first ever paid work just in the world, my first ever job outside of school was in a production um, of Midsummer Night's Dream at a theater in North Hollywood when I was whatever age I was, uh, was in or like freshman in high school. And that's been my work. You know, that was the first money I ever made all through my high school and even college years. And I tell you that this is what it's like. That's, this is what directors are like. This is what theater people are like. It's just the way they are. They don't, not everyone is that way. Not, you don't have to be that way, but a lot of people are. And dealing with people like that is part of it. Most actors and people who do this figure out how to navigate that world. As long as the theater person isn't abusive, abusive power in like a genuinely destructive way, um, then you're going to deal with some stuff where they're disorganized. They talk a lot. They make a lot of promises. They talk big. They don't listen well. They, you know, whatever. That's just part of what it is. And so I think that if your kids are fine with it, then they're fine with it and you should let them do it. They're not causing, it's not causing any damage to them to do this. Uh, at some point they may get sick of this person's bullshit and they may be like, screw it. And then at that point they can, they can decide I don't want to do it anymore. And that's fine. But I don't think you have to determine for them that they've had enough. It's clear that you've had enough and I fully get that, but that because they shouldn't quit because you've had enough. This is their thing that they want to do. And so part of your job of, a parent, of parenting is to put up with the annoying aspects of what they want to do because they want to do it and it means something to them and, it's, and, and they feel that they're getting something out of it. And it's not harmful or a, or, or a waste of time or energy. I would also point out that <clears throat> of all the extracurricular activities to have, theater for kids can be a really great one. I think that when I look at my own life, um, the fact that I... I was a teenager that could have gone a lot of different directions. I was highly unsupervised. I was in a big city, uh, you know, and I think one of the things that kept me organized and focused was that I always had a rehearsal to get to. And I always had a, an opening night and I always had lines to memorize. And I always had to find a way to do that in and around the rest of my responsibilities as a person. And so it just kept me focused. It didn't, I didn't really get distracted with things I might have get, gotten distracted with if I was just like hanging around after school with nothing on my plate. So your kids are in a happy, healthy extracurricular activity. Certainly the people there are annoying to you. They're probably annoying to them, but the kids are willing to put up with it. I say you just let them go until they've had enough. 
There's one thing you said, Carvel, that I, I want to raise a question about, where you said uh, mm-hmm. it's not doing them any harm. It's not doing the kids any harm. And I wonder if we know that that's true. I, like I, I, mm. I certainly think like the idea that this theater teacher is like not reliable and requires the you to slap them around and get the costumes together at the last minute and the whole thing is disorganized and it's a big hassle. Like that does seem like, well, that's an ordinary level of hassle. And if you decide you can't put up with it, then maybe you can't put up with it. But if you can because it's valuable to your kids, then you should. That just feels like mundane mm. parenting choice decision making. Um, the, the, the theater teacher who says, I'm going to make you a star – and you have to now I want you to fly to this special big opportunity across the country where your stardom of theatrical career is about to begin. And that means that your parents have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to fly you across the country for this thing, which the parents have said that they can't afford and aren't going to pay. And yet the theater teacher is telling the kids, well, if your parents can't come up with this money, then you're going to miss this big opportunity to become a great big star, which is what I'm going to do for you. That does feel like, number one, it's not a responsible way to act with somebody else's kid. And number two, it's potentially damaging to the kids to be told like, well, you're, you know, I want to make you a star and your mom doesn't want you to be a star because she's too cheap. That doesn't feel great for the kids. Sure. But I don't, it, I don't, I don't think that that, <clears throat> that's not what I'm seeing in this email. I'm seeing, she's not even saying I'll make you a star. She's saying, uh, she constantly talks about her experience in Hollywood and tells the kids that she's going to make them professional, which I think is different than making like. And I think if I think this this theater this mother does not like this theater teacher enough that if she had more damning things to say, then she would say them. Mm. So if the theater teacher was literally like, yeah, they're, she's promising my kids that they're they're all going to be the next just fill in the blank a list celebrity, and that pisses me off. She would have said that, and I think that what this theater teacher is saying is, "I'm going to teach you how to be professional. This is how things are professionally done. This is, and I know this from my experience in Hollywood, and I know this because I, because <clears throat> you know, I have this background in this field, which theater teachers are notorious for harping on. And but it sounds like the theater teacher is saying, "I'm going to teach you how to be professional." Now, this thing about wanting to come to the the conference again, it's not like you're going to come to this showcase. Showcases a real sketchy word. But conference is a different one. And it's, I think it's really important to know the difference between those two. A showcase is the promise that, like, the agents are going to be there and it's William Morris people were going to be there and this is it. It's your big break and you have to make it. A conference is like, you're interested in theater, you want to do it at a professional level, I'm going to take you to a place where people are really doing this at a professional level and you're going to see it. I, I don't think it's great for a teacher to say... Um, Sorry, I lost the email because my daughter just called on my phone. Um, I don't think it's great for a theater teacher to, if a parent says no once for a theater teacher to say, I really think this is a good idea. I think that, I think you're right that that's the one thing that gave me the most pause. But also at the same time, um, I'm not entirely sure based on the letter that this is one of those things where a teacher is saying like, I want you to be a star. Your mother doesn't want you to be a star. You can't trust your mother. Trust me. Let's go. Uh, I think that the theater teacher is advocating for this thing to happen. Um, you know, so I don't know. I mean, I don't, is it great? No. But is it so bad that like the mother has to intervene and stop it all right now? I don't think so, especially because the kids like it. If the kids didn't like it or wanted to go to another different children's, if, you know, a mother came along and said, look, this theater teacher is a mess. Don't you agree? Yeah, she's a little messy. Okay, what if I could take you to this theater program where the teacher wasn't a mess? Do you want to go? And the kids are like, no, we like it. Then they like it. That's just where they're at. And so I I, I think overall it's fine and iffy. But again, 
I went through this industry and <laughs> this is a shitty industry filled with crazy people. And so, so this all strikes me as mild. So maybe I'm a little bit callous to the whole set of sufferings here. Yeah. I mean, I think that probably that is right. Not that you're callous, but that like we have different, like we're going in with different uh, sets of expectations. <laughs> like maybe yeah. when you hear youth theater program, you think, oh, well, obviously it's being run by a flaky narcissist. Uh, and I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did. Obviously it is. Right. I, I, that, that makes sense to me. I, I think probably <laughs> the advice then that I would give to this parent is um, the thing – Try to put aside your like ordinary frustrations. Try to put aside those mundane frustrations around like, God, this is a pain in the ass and try to focus on the question of like, is this person narcissistic in a way that it's actually really sort of damaging and weird for my kids to be in this relationship with her? Or, mm -hmm. or is yeah. it actually it's fine and she's getting them involved in some interesting work that they find stimulating and fulfilling and also there's a bunch of hassle that goes along with it. it, it, it and if it's the second thing, then you just have to decide whether you can put up with the hassle for the sake of something that your kids find valuable. That's kind of what I think. I mean – it you know it, it yeah it's as I mean I yeah that's what I think and I think that like it's true that that sometimes dynamics like that can be a cover or a beginning or an entryway into much more disturbing and abusive behavior and Lord knows that the world of theater is no stranger to uh, abuses of power um, and so I think that's what you want to watch out for but I don't necessarily read in this letter that that's what's happening in its current iteration in this moment. Uh, and again, the fact that the kids are in and they like it and they want to continue is for me a really important piece of information. All right. I think we agree. I think we've uh, proceeded through the stages of the Hegelian dialectic uh, from thesis <laughs> through antithesis all the way to synthesis. So uh, I hope that was helpful for you. Thank you. Thank uh, you for that game. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> Nerd alert. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing nerdy about Hegelian dialectic, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, uh, I hope it works out okay and your children become big stars and do not find themselves uh, under the sway of some kind of narcissistic, theatrically based cult leader. It's time for the part of the show where we make recommendations to you. I'm not sure what we should call it. Carvel, uh, what do you want to recommend to people? I would like to recommend, and I, I, I'd like to recommend that we call this segment Recommendations. I'm just throwing it out there. That's pretty good. Just something to think about. I like yeah. it. Um, I, I'm going to recommend the 2010 documentary Babies. Oh, which, Babies. Uh, that was good. I love Babies. That. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen see, it? Yes. I saw it with, with my now <laughs> Did you wife. see the theater? Yes. <laughs> At oh the, the, the landmark Embarcadero in San Francisco. <laughs> it oh, was man, really good. So good. Oh, yeah. Oh, there well, was good. one baby. Yeah, so oh, my God. I'm... There was that one baby. Tell him about that one. Well, no, I can't because I haven't seen the whole thing yet. Oh. I've only seen portions of it. And I just, someone, rec someone, someone told me about it a few days ago. And I was like, how did I miss this? And then I, probably because by that point, I didn't, my kids weren't even babies anymore. They were whatever, seven and five. And so, um, and so I just missed that whole thing. And then uh, we were talking about it with some parents who had a baby and they said the documentary. And then I thought, wow. And I went and looked it up. And then even in my column this week, someone, a mother was worried that her dad was, that her partner was treating the baby, holding the baby in a way that was too rough and mm. not paying enough attention when the baby cries. And I was like, you know, there are so many ways to healthily raise a baby. You should watch the documentary babies. And then I watched portions of it and was like, I'm going to recommend this. Uh, and I, I'm going to, I can't wait to watch the rest of it. But 
that's what it is. The, oh, the premise, in case we haven't covered that, is it's a year-long documentary that follows four children from infancy to uh, their first year of life in four different parts of the world. I believe it's Cameroon, Tokyo, San Francisco, and I don't remember where the fourth one is. Anyway, that's the idea. And so it's just documentary that just shows all the different ways babies can be raised and cared for in all the different parts of the world, and it's really fascinating and amazing. Uh, such a good movie. I second that recommendation. Also, I want to recommend uh, the review of that movie that was written in the Village Voice by one-time mom and dad are fighting host Dan Coyce. I'm going to post it to oh. our show page. Uh, it really captures the magic of the film Babies. Uh, so check that out. Um, I am also going to recommend a movie. It's a much less obscure movie. We, uh, you know, my my wife went away this weekend, and so I was with the kids. And so, what are we going to do? Obviously, we're going to go see Detective Pikachu. And I just want to <laughs> say, not having had any real connection to the Pokemon universe or the the litany of Pokemon characters, I just want to say, Pokemon Detective Pikachu was a pretty fun movie. There's lots of different Pokemon. They have different abilities. There's the thing of the Pokemon, the Pikachu that walks around talking to the guy and riding on his shoulder. It's cute, but it's also like it's a mystery story and the kids were like trying to figure it out. And at the end, we, like as a mystery, you don't really find out what's going on until the end of the movie. And this was the first movie that Leo at least had seen that takes that form of a, 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 a detective story. And so uh, we had a lot to talk about afterwards in like unpacking mm. the, the story. Uh, there's a lot more going on in Detective Pikachu than uh, you might expect. So um, again, it's a movie that probably doesn't need my recommendation to, to uh, reach the level of your attention. But uh, if you were on the fence about it, Detective Pikachu uh, earns my coveted recommendation in the segment of the show that... Uh, I, I, I think we're going to start calling recommendations. I like that. That's um, a great idea. Yeah, right? Yeah. And that's our show. Slate Plus members, stick around to hear Teresa Thorne share a parenting fail. Uh, listeners, if you have a question that you want us to tackle, you could, in theory, give us a call at 424-255-7833. But why not instead email it to momanddadatslate.com, where it can be read by Shasha Leonardo. Uh, let us know what you think of the show, of our personalities, of our parenting styles. Just evaluate us entirely on our... Don't evaluate us. That uh, evaluate, won't be necessary. Evaluate me and, and probably game. Rebecca in, in absentia. <laughs> um, but, but don't evaluate Carvel, except positively, uh, at our Facebook group. <laughs> Go on Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. Our show is produced by Jess Jupiter. Rebecca Lavoy will be back next week for Carvel Wallace. I am Gabriel Roth. We will see you next time on Mom and Dad are Fighting. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job, it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.